Are you ready? You better get ready. Get ready to dive into the heart of local sports action. Broadcasting live from the heartland of Missouri. Welcome to the SEMO Scramble on SEMO ESPN. Get set. Because it's time to catch up on the latest local highlights, in-depth analysis, and interviews from the Boot Heel and beyond. Here we go. Welcome in. Good Saturday morning to you. Clay Harrell, Rusty Hendricks here in the SEMO Scramble. 12.20 a.m., 93.5 FM, and online, SEMOESPN.com. And if you uh, maybe don't get a chance to listen to the whole show or you know tuning in and out, whatever, hey, check out uh, the podcast page after the show. We'll, we'll get that up, and you can listen to past shows as well. So that's SEMOESPN.com backslash podcast and check out uh again the shows through there and listen whenever you want to so clay it was a fun night in high school basketball we'll get right to it we got a busy show so again we'll talk basketball here first we got uh, an interview coming up at nine fifteen with james nail of course the charleston native uh big news coming out yesterday uh, from the cardinals is no longer part of their organization, but transferred over to the KBO. So he'll be playing in Korea. And then at 9.30, I uh, know I'm really excited. You're really excited as well. Talking things over with Garrett Brushhouse, Advance uh, Hornet alum. Of course, uh, anytime I can get some Advance Hornets on, Clay, I'm happy to do that. But uh, talking things over with him, kind of getting up to date with what he's doing. And, uh, again, a lawyer there in St. Louis. And, obviously, uh, he was the lead attorney that uh, helped you know minor leaguers clay here just uh, a few years ago really uh, changed with that landmark case 185 million landmark uh, settlement uh, that helped minor leaguers with their minimum wage pay so we'll talk to him a little bit about that and then also uh, we you know spent some time on Monday clay at the Cardinals caravan and we talked to Tink Hintz we will get his thoughts a little bit on the upcoming season. So, man, loaded show. We got football as well. So let's get going with a little basketball, Clay. I'll start with some scores from last night. So it was Carruthersville winning over Haytai, 81-50. to Big win for Carruthersville. Metal Heights on the road, 76-57 victors at Advance. Puxico is having a nice season, and they defeat Bernie, 70-42. to And Woodland with a one-point win, a uh, uh, down to the wire win there against Bloomfield Woodland, fifty-one to fifty. Chaffee with maybe a minor upset there against Oak Ridge. They get the victory, fifty-three forty-eight. Kelly with a a big win. I know Dalton Fork had a big dunk in that game uh, for Kelly. They defeat Delta ninety-eight to forty-seven. New Madrid, ho hum, another win for them, eighty to thirty-seven over Dexter. Uh, Richland sixty-seven to fifty-one winners over Leopold. Uh, we saw Malden had a nice win against Portageville. Two solid teams there, 57-49. Bell City, how about Luke Bixler's club, Clay, getting the win over Oren, 58-59. In the Superman Classic, we saw Massac County squeak past Charleston, 57-53. And probably the two best games of the night, just kind of back-and-forth battles at uh, Saxony Lutheran. In overtime, Notre Dame getting the victory, 57-50. And then... Uh, Probably the game of the night, uh, the matchup of the night, Clay, was at Cape Central. Jackson, a rematch of that championship game of the Southeast Missouri Christmas Tournament. 
Jackson enacting a little revenge with a two-point victory, 51-49. to Give us uh, your little synopsis of the game. I know you were there, so what did you think about that one? Yeah, I mean, I think anybody that was there was or were watching online or anything like that, like the first, you know, five, six minutes of the first quarter, I think told you exactly how that game was going to go. Cape opened the game without Deshondra Edwards, by the way, uh, who was, uh, had to serve a one-game suspension for his ejection, I guess, what, now 10, 11 days ago against Notre Dame. Cape comes out, it's homecoming, 9 nothing run right out of the gate, forces Jackson to take time out, and you're kind of sitting there wondering, like, is this going to be kind of similar to the Christmas tournament game? Just, you know, Cape's going to take it right to him early. Well, Jackson had a response on their timeout, 11 nothing run, cold deck, 9 points in that run, gives Jackson 11-9 lead, and, you know, the way that you, you kind of saw that, okay, this is going to be a tight game. It was 15-15 after the first quarter. You go into the second quarter, and, you know, it wasn't pretty for Jackson, and I think uh, Corey Toma would tell you that, and he did tell me that after the game. Uh, it was not a pretty quarter for Jackson. Just, you know, some of the fundamentals, you know, were not there. They weren't boxing out. They were giving up second-chance points. Their offense didn't look very fluid. Cape takes a 10-point lead into the locker room, and when I ta- asked uh, Toma about it after the game, he kind of had a smirk and said, we had a long halftime talk uh, about that second quarter, and, and it was clear when they came out in the third quarter, Rusty, like, their defensive intensity was on a different level. They They really dug in, and it was kind of just turned into a rock fight at that point. Like it was a, a game that Jackson had to grind out in the second half, and they put two really good quarters together. Really, three. I would say after the the first couple of minutes of the first quarter, you know, the second quarter was really their only bad quarter. But yeah, they uh, they dug in the fourth quarter. They held Cape to five points, and anytime you can hold an offense like Cape Central's to five points in a quarter, I mean, that's a huge win. And, and Jackson got some big shots down the stretch. So, in your opinion, does this say more about Jackson or more about Cape Central in this game? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, I think it says a lot about Jackson to go on on the road and, and pick up a win like that. That's a tough environment, especially with it being Cape's homecoming. But I don't think you can hold that on Cape too much. Without Deshondre Edwards, obviously that team looks a lot different. But at the same time, like to to spin off that, you can't take anything away from Jackson either. I mean, the, they're looking at it like, hey, we had to play you without Blaine Harris, you know, just a couple weeks ago. So that I mean, you can't really use that too much as an excuse. But if I'm Cape, I'm not overreacting really at all. I mean. I think they're still in a good spot. Um, they looked pretty good at times. Their offense was, especially in that second quarter, their offense was was running well, and they were they were getting good looks. And shots just didn't fall for them in the fourth. But Jackson defensively did a tremendous job in the second half. I mean, it was kind of like Corey Thomas said. He told them at halftime, "You can either get blown out, or you can come out here and, and make it a game." And and they did that. I mean, it was clear from the the start of the third quarter that that was going to be a tight game. And the Jackson student section showed up, and they were all obviously very very excited. Uh, when uh, the Jay Reynolds three was off there at the end, which he got a really good look at it. Yeah, an opportunity there to, to give him a win on uh, homecoming night. So, hey, how about Cold Deck though? Twenty-two points for the Indians. He's really you know becoming a you know as what Dick Vitale would say a PTP right. <laughs> so, I I don't know if anybody else watches like college basketball or the NBA like this. Like if like you just watch somebody shoot and like if you feel like every shot they take is going in. That's what it feels like when Coldeck shoots. Like I feel like everything he takes is going in. He I mean, had all five of Jackson's threes last night. He hit a big one. Uh, Blaine Harris had a mid-range jumper, and then Coldeck hit a three. It gave Jackson a lead, and it felt like, even though it was a road game for Jackson, it felt like the roof was going to come off the place because of how loud it was. But, but I mean, it just feels like everything he shoots and puts up is going in. He's sufficient at, you know, good good shooter from the outside. He can get to a spot in the mid-range. He can get inside, and he was doing a little bit of everything last night. He was the only double-digit scorer for Jackson. Yeah, and again, for Jackson, it was the first time 
that they defeat Cape Central, go in there and win since 2014. So a big win for them. Both teams in action on Tuesday, Cape Central against Hillsboro. Jackson will take on Notre Dame. So, uh, I don't know, is it a little bit of a kink in the armor for Cape Central? Or, I, I, you know, knowing Drew Church, and I know you know him well, Clay, I feel like he's going to use this loss to kind of motivate them and really help them down the road. I, he almost – in. I don't know if he, I'm not going to say he enjoys. He, no one likes to lose, but I think for for Drew Church, he really uses those those losses, those tough losses like this, to help his team and say a little wake up call, like, "Hey, look, you're not invincible." Look, I, and I think if you talk to any coach, that's probably how they feel, right? Like, obviously, you know, you need those wake up calls sometime. And, and regardless, kind of like we talked about, I can't. Remember, it was Christmas tournament championship morning when we did the show, like. Nobody's season ended last night. Like it's it's still nobody won a state championship. Nobody got sent home. So I think you just kind of learn from it and you keep it moving. You know, Tuesday against Hillsborough, you got to have a short memory because that's another tough test for Cape Central. That's a really really good Hillsborough team that they're welcoming in into Cape Central. And, and then you kind of fast forward. They go to Poplar Bluff, who you know they're probably looking to enact a little revenge of their own on Friday next week. And then you got the Vashon, the Show Me Classic. So they have to have a short memory in my mind, but also kind of. Maybe this is a little hypocritical, but you also have to to use it as you know maybe fuel as well. You know you don't want to let it stick with you, but you also need to let it motivate you at the same time. And and yeah, knowing Drew Church, that that group will be ready to go come Tuesday night. So a good one there. And you know I was in action to see uh, Notre Dame at Saxony on their homecoming night. Boy, it was tough sledding to, for scoring early in that game. Clay, neither team shot the ball well, especially in the first half. But things started to open up a little bit. In the second half, a good defensive battle. Uh, I have to give credit to Brett Dohan. He had 21 points, eight rebounds in the victory in overtime for Notre Dame. You know, he had turned his ankle earlier in the week, and you know, coaches were showing me pictures of his ankle. I mean, you had a, a huge, almost looked like a you know softball size kind of uh, you know whelp on his ankle, but he was able to just work, you know work through it. Uh, I stem, make it through here uh, to, for the game. It was kind of a game-time decision. They're without Hudson Dennis, who they fear maybe uh, has a broken foot. So don't know exactly there, having to get confirmation by the end of the month. But So without him, not a ton of size. Luke Egemeyer at six foot seven, one of the top players in the area for Saxony. So how are they going to combat that? Well, he gutted it out, and boy, what a big performance for him. Uh, the difference in the game, in my opinion, was the turnovers. Notre Dame... Ended up forcing 18 Saxony turnovers, Notre Dame with only 10 of their own. But uh, a ton of fouls in that game. The free throws became uh, important down the stretch. And a couple of defensive stops there. But uh, both teams, again, that was fun. Uh, Egemeyer, right there at the end of regulation, Notre Dame was up two. There was, I think, uh, something like seven, eight seconds left. Um, so they, they got the quick outlet out to Egemeyer at around half court. For whatever reason, kind of the seas parted. No one decided to uh, to guard Eggemeyer. He went all the way to the rim and scored with about uh, as time was expiring to send it to overtime. So that was cool to see Eggemeyer do that. And then just in overtime, uh, big six points for Brett Dohan. He took advantage there down low. And, again, hitting some big free throws and some defensive stops. So it was a good win. is a district win there, Clay, between those two. Boy, again, Class 3, District 2, we've said it before, but that's going to be a fun Fun battle down the down the road. I don't have it in front of me. That's that's the district two with Woodland and Kelly, correct? Woodland, uh, Kelly, Valley, uh, Scott District. City. I mean, it yeah, it, it is tough. 
Um, I was talking, you know, obviously you mentioned Jackson back in Action Tuesday. They played Notre Dame. Uh, and talking to Corey Toma, he, like, he talked about just how well Notre Dame has been playing lately. Like, he said that, you know, they're obviously very well coached. He had a lot of high praise for Coach Brinkmeyer and the job he's done. And, and they, he said they expect a dogfight. And I think that that's kind of what you get a lot of nights with Notre Dame. They do a really good job. You saw it against Cape Central. They can slow things down if they have to. Obviously, those games didn't go the way they wanted to. But, but uh, Toma had a lot of praise for, for Coach Brinkmeyer and the job he's doing. And obviously, Notre Dame still got some business to take care of today uh, going to Borgia. But yeah. uh, that's a, a big CMO Conference matchup there as well Tuesday night. You bet. I do want to mention this before we go to break and uh, get ready to talk to James Nell. Uh, Terry Kitchen, he uh, former athlete and coach, athletic director at Cape Central High School, going to be inducted into the Missouri High School Baseball Coaches Association Hall of Fame, well-deserved. And, uh, again, that is a great honor. Of course, he picked up the 2018 Lifetime Achievement Award uh, during the SEMO Ball Awards. And, again, Terry Kitchen, uh, just a, a great figure in our community and just a well-deserved hall of fame honor for him just a reminder like after the show go watch his Sebo ball awards uh uh speech video from was it 2018 you said 2018 it's yep. uh, linked on the brief on semoball.com just go check it out it is i was still in high school at the time and i didn't wasn't from this area so i've seen it just you know over the last like year and a half working here outstanding video so go check it out so that is uh I think it's going to be today, correct? That, yeah. That, yeah. So the luncheon's today. It's part of. Uh, it's in Capitol Plaza in Jefferson City. Jefferson City and his family, his, his sons Corey and Tatum, will be in attendance to accept the honor. So great honor there. Um, quick news too before we get to James Nell talking about the St. Louis Cardinals. How about Matt Carpenter? Matt Carpenter coming back, Clay. Uh, he was signed yesterday for league minimum seven hundred forty thousand. Uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals for the one year to you know basically be a bench bat and you know John Mazalek in a quick uh, press conference yesterday basically said look we just we want him there to help be a leader for this team so I, I know a lot of people are probably laughing at it just you know a, a classic like they bring in the older guy but this team did need did need some more leadership veteran pieces obviously uh, you heard Nolan Arenado talk about there was a lot of kids in the locker room, and I don't think it was a slight, but it, they were a young team last year, obviously with the trades and guys going out. So getting a guy you know like Matt Carpenter back in that locker room, and hey, can I just get the salsa back? I don't know if it was any good That's or right. anything, but uh, I mean, I, I feel like it kind of needs to come back. I know Schnook said they're not, but I think we should uh, start a petition to get the salsa back in, in Schnooks. I'm for it. Salsa coming back. We'll see if we can get it. But hey, let's talk to James Nell. As he uh, had some big news yesterday, we'll talk with James now coming up next here on the CMO Scramble. game it's like a party in the stands like everybody's screaming and yelling for the whole game it's like a, i tell people it's like a duke versus north carolina basketball <laughs> yeah. game just that type of atmosphere and it's it's really special because you can tell how passionate they are about the game but also it was like a cultural experience yeah. for me. like a, a, a holy a totally different experience i got to appreciate a different culture my first son was born in korea awesome. so that was something pretty cool um and it's a place that i'll never forget all right, that was Xavier Scruggs. We talked to him on Monday at the Cardinals Caravan, and he was talking about his time at in the KBO, and now we're happy to be joined by James Nell. And James, of course, Charleston native, and happy to have you on the hotline here. And 
Well, of course, we wanted to have you on. Big news yesterday came out that uh, no longer with the St. Louis Cardinals, not going to be playing in Korea. So, James, first off, uh, what went into that decision t- to play in Korea? Hey, Rusty. Good. Thank you for having me, uh, first of all. Um, but, you know, it was uh, it happened fast. Um, it, it basically stems around my, my future with St. Louis was a bit uncertain. I think, um, you know, it's no secret as you are um, an older reliever, you know, with not, not a ton of experience at the major league level. Um, you know, we're, our, our jobs are kind of volatile. Um, and this Kia Tigers team out of South Korea, um, you know, I'm, the way I, I think it happened was they contacted St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis contacted me, and I think it was good for all par- parties. It gives me a, a little bit of a guarantee and uh, allows me to go and become a starter again. Um, there's, there's so many benefits to, to going overseas if you are presented with that um, possibility. Um, one of them is, is you can skip some of the – uh, eligibility to become a free agent in the major league level at the major league level. So, um, you know, typically it would take six years to become a major league free agent. Um, now, if you go overseas, even just one year in South Korea or Japan or something like that, uh, you become a major league free agent at the end of the year. Um, so, you know, if you play well, good things can happen um, as a major league free agent. So, it was good for all parties, uh, and I'm really excited about it. James, uh, Clay Harrell from the Southeast Missourian here. You know, you mentioned that the whole decision and everything that went into it happened pretty fast. Did you have a chance or have you had a chance to talk to guys like Xavier Struggs or anybody who's played in the KBO to kind of get a sense of an expectation when you go over there? Sure. Um, I actually haven't spoken to Xavier, but I have spoken to several guys that I know that have gone. I, I know a handful of guys that have gone, and every single one has said, they loved it. They had so much fun. Um, from the baseball standpoint, they loved it. But from the cultural standpoint, I like that Xavier said that because that's what most people are saying. It's just such a joy to go and spend time in a totally different, you know, part of the world that you likely would never really go to. Um, you know, if you're just a, a kid from Charleston, Missouri, you know, this is a, a cool experience to get to go to South Korea and, and, you know, get to, I fly to Australia for spring training and then we go over to Okinawa, Japan for a couple of weeks and then up to Korea. So I'm going to get two continents and a couple countries under my belt. So I, you know, it's, it's going to be great. I've talked to several people and they all just, you know, echo how, how much fun it is. Yeah. And you went to uh, London last year as part of the Cubs Cardinals series. So, you're going to be a world traveler here, James. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to think about kind of the, the places baseball has, uh, has taken me over the years. I'm very uh, fortunate. So take me back to when uh, you were approached for this idea to go to Korea. So is that something that you had to approve? What, what went through your mind when you were, were asked about that? I mean, was it a hard decision, easy decision, or, again, what kind of went, in, went into that? Well, uh, you know, it it was it wasn't an easy decision, but it was a it was a good opportunity from the get go. So um, as soon as I was notified, immediately I was excited, um, but at the same time sad because obviously I've enjoyed my time with St. Louis. 
Um, you know, they have such an unbelievable, you know, culture in St. Louis that's addicting if you get to play for them. Um, you know, it's it's from the fan base to just the atmosphere in the clubhouse. And although we weren't all that great last year, you know, it's still St. Louis is home to me. And uh, so I absolutely will miss that. But once again, this opportunity is just something that I couldn't pass up. So it became sort of a no-brainer. Um, but, you know, it's these, these opportunities are rare. Each team in, in Korea is allowed three foreign-born players. Um, so if you're an older reliever like myself, you know, an opportunity to go over there and, and kind of skip, skip ahead to free agency if you play well or, or you know, go back to re- re-sign with a Korean team. I mean, those are that's stuff you just can't pass up. So um, it did happen fast, but it was, you know, I don't want to say it was, it was, a, it was a bittersweet decision, but, but, it, but it's great. I, I can't wait. You know, James, you mentioned just the kind of the opportunity to go back into the major league free agent pool. I assume you still have aspirations to the re- return to the majors at some point. Sure. I mean, um, you know, that's, I think that that's everyone's goal eventually, but right now, you know, I got my eyes set on the KBO. Uh, I want to do as well as I can over there and not think too far ahead. Uh, but you know, it's like, like we said, if you play well, good things will happen. Um, you know, I'd love hopefully to get an opportunity to come back over and continue my career. But for right now, just focused on, uh, you know, being the best player I can for Kia, for the Kia Tigers. Kind of a twofold question here. Again, talking things over with James Nell, the Charleston native. So, uh, number one, James, do you know if you're going to be starting or, or maybe relieving? Do you know what your role is? And then number two, I know you had spent some time talking about this offseason that you have worked with guys like Sonny Gray. So, What's kind of your off-season plan look like, and how are you looking to improve uh, going into Korea? I will be a starting pitcher again, which is exciting for me. That's something that, you know, I enjoy. It's what I've done most of my, you know, most all of my career um, until the last couple of years has been as a starting pitcher. And I think, honestly, that is what I, what suits me best uh, from my, from a pitching perspective perspective i think that my arsenal of pitches has really come a long way in the last few years um to give me some weapons that i may not have had in the past as a starting pitcher um and as for my workload in the off season i've kind of treated it like i have um most every off season um i was kind of getting ready as a bullpen guy uh which you know when you're training sometimes means um you know, maybe a little bit less volume, but, you know, more intense kind of thing. And as a starter, obviously, it's a, it's a longer game, more, more volume of throwing and things like that. So immediately, once I got that call from Korea, I switched into starter mode and uh, threw a couple extra pitches in my bullpen session and things like that and started working out of the windup again and just fun little things that you get to do as a starter again. So I, I, uh, I've, I've kind of gone into starter mode, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. When you, you know, when you think of, you mentioned getting to go to Australia for spring training, going over to Japan for a couple of weeks, and then just playing in Korea, is there one thing that maybe jumps out to you most that you're most looking forward to on your new adventure? I think just the different cultures. I, one of my friends told me that he said it's a lot of fun when you're in a city, and he says, you don't know anyone, they don't know you, you can't speak the language, 
you know, you're, you're walking around the streets and you're looking around and you, and you, he says it feels like you're in another world. And, and if you can embrace that and enjoy it, just how little we are, you know, um, it, he said it's a lot of fun and it's very humbling. And so I'm looking forward to, to that and just, you know, taking that. I love the different foods and I love, um, you know, I can't wait to meet these fans because like, a, like Xavier said, they're very passionate and it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun to, uh, to get to kind of indulge in, in that lifestyle. Well, last thing, and we'll let you go, James. I guess number one here, uh, have you, do you know any uh, any Korean words? Uh, have you practiced up on that any yet? And then number two, we saw you know Lars Newbar go over there to Japan for the sure. WBC. Became an uh, international sensation. So maybe we need you to come up with not the pepper grinder, but something else here that maybe we can get you going uh, going nuts in Korea. It's really hard not to love Lars. Uh, I hope everybody gets to meet him because he's an absolute pleasure. Um, obviously, an unbelievable talent. You know. The, um, the, <laughs> I don't know, I already forgot the question. I thought, what <laughs> was okay. the question again? I, was uh, about, I got to think about Lars. Have you brushed up on any Korean yet? Oh, that's right. Um, you know, I've been watching a little bit of YouTube. I've been watching a little bit of YouTube. Uh, I'm struggling mightily at it. Um, I know how to say hello. There's actually, I believe there's three different, I don't want to butcher this, but I think there's three different ways to say hello based on how old you are. So if somebody that's older than you, uh, you, you speak hello in a little bit more of a formal way. You say hello to someone your age in a kind of standard, and then there's a shorter version for somebody younger than you. So I have a lot to learn about yeah. the, the language and the culture, but I, I'm really looking forward to it. Man, James, I really appreciate it. We're excited for you. We're going to be rooting for you, as always, and we hope uh, good things for you. So enjoy it, have fun, and maybe uh, maybe you can get Brink over there to to have a little fun as well. <laughs> I do. I need to get Brink. I think the I think the family's going to try and make the trip over. So that'll, awesome. be a, that'll be a that'll be a good time. Again, James, appreciate the time this morning, and again, good luck, and uh, just have some fun and just uh, enjoy life over there. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys. You bet. Thank you. All right. See ya. All right. That is James Nell. Again, appreciate his time talking to us here on the Semo Scramble. We got a break because we're talking things over with. Garrett Brushhouse. How about that? Garrett Brushhouse, the 2001 Advance High School alum. He played baseball at Mizzou, graduated in 04, uh, drafted by the San Francisco Giants, Clay. Spent six years in their system. Then he became a law student. Okay, He graduated valedictorian of St. Louis University Law School and currently working for Corrine Tillery Law Firm in St. Louis. So we'll get his thoughts. Again, he was a part of the – he was a lead attorney in the landmark case for basic wage violations for minor league baseball players and and $185 million settlement case. We'll talk to him about that coming up next. You do not want to miss it. Garrett Brushhouse up next on the CMO Scramble. back in it's the SEMO scramble here on SEMO ESPN radio that's 1220 a.m. 93.5 fm and online at SEMO ESPN.com Clay Harrell the southeast Missourian joining me Rusty Hendricks here on the SEMO scramble and we are happy to be joined here on our phone lines with Garrett Brushhouse of course the 
Advance alum, and of course, anytime Clay, I can get an Advance alum on, I am happy to do so. Of course, Advance alum myself, uh, Mizzou baseball grad as well, drafted uh, by the San Francisco Giants, and then now practicing law there in St. Louis and working for Corine Tillery Law Firm in St. Louis. So, first of all, Garrett, how's it going, man? Appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I want to start off with this. Just give us an update for those. I know there's some some advanced peeps listening in, so give us an update. Uh, how you're doing? What's the day in the life of Garrett Brushhouse look like right now? <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Today is filled with kids stuff, uh, <laughs> like a lot of people down there. I'm sure it is. Uh, I've already been to one kids basketball game, and I got two more for the day. Uh, so that's the life of, on a Saturday for me. But yeah, day to day, I'm I'm now an attorney, and I do a lot of sports law. Um, and I spent six years in the San Francisco Giants organization Then went to law school here at St. Louis University and have been practicing law for 11 years now. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, still stay in the sports world while doing it. You know, uh, Garrett, a couple years ago, just, you know, you headed the very complex case that led to the landmark decision on pay for minor leaguers, $185 million settlement, you know, just looking back on it now, how have you seen, you know, the positive ramifications from this? And, you know, how important was this result overall? Uh, it's It's been an absolute sea change in minor league baseball. I mean, I think but when I got into minor league baseball, I think there was sort of a general recognition from the bold Durham movies of, of that sort uh, that, you know, things weren't glamorous in the minor leagues. And, you know, they shouldn't be glamorous in the minor leagues because it is minor league baseball. But at the same time, I mean, people were just treated like crap, and I just, I did, I think everybody, when you first get into it, you're surprised just how bad it was. In many ways, it was a step down uh, from, you know, how how it was at Mizzou for us, and we didn't live a life of luxury at Mizzou. We were college students; we lived a typical college life. Uh, but you know, you have meals taken care of. Uh, you have a, a decent apartment to stay in and um, an actual bed to sleep in. And then once we got into pro ball, it's just like everything was on your own. Um, and the per diem was like 20 bucks a day. And you're a, a lead athlete trying to beat on 20 bucks a day. I mean, you can't do that. Uh, and then the salaries at that time, the salaries started eight fifty per month. And so after taxes, I mean, you're left with like $500 a month then, and you can't live on that. Um, now, once we brought the lawsuit, we brought the lawsuit in 2014 saying that the, that Major League Baseball wasn't abiding by just your basic minimum wage laws, uh, which they weren't. Uh, even during the season, the salaries were below minimum wage. And when you went to spring training and worked 50, 60 hours a week, you weren't getting paid at all. So, you know, that was an, an entire month plus of work with, without any type of pay, making $0 per hour. Um, and so, you know, at the time we brought that case, the salaries had been raised to $1,100 per month, but you were only paid those salaries during the season. So still a lot of guys were only making like six, $7,000 for an entire year of work. I mean, minor league baseball players were literally amongst the lowest paid workers in the entire country. And so what you'd see is a lot of times you would see, you know, guys piling into apartments, six guys deep into a two or three bedroom apartment not even getting actual beds. They would just get air mattresses from Walmart, no furniture at all, just air mattresses everywhere, and that's how they would live. And you go there and you play in front of six, 7,000 fans each night, 
and you're under contract with the major league team. It's not the minor league team that's paying you. It's actually it's the actual major league team that's paying you. And so, you know, these teams are have billions of dollars, um, and yet they're they're paying the future of the organization three, four dollars an hour. Uh, so, just in many ways, just just completely unfair, and also ran afoul of wage laws. And so, we were the first. It was the first case of its kind to ever say that professional athletes should be subjected to minimum wage laws. And usually, and the re, probably the reason that it never been brought is, of course, most athletes are above minimum wage. So there's no re, reason to bring a case like that. Um, but so we had a lot of hurdles we had to face. Long story short, it took eight and a half, almost nine years. Well, we finally won the case and settled for $185 million. Um, average minor league player was, was getting about $6,000 from that settlement, which doesn't sound like a lot of money, but when you think, uh, think about the fact that the average minor league career is only about three years and they were only making six $7,000 for an entire year, well, you know, a lot of $6,000, that's a good sum of money in a settlement. And especially, you know, a third of these guys are in the Dominican, are in Venezuela, and um, that's a good chunk of money that, that they've been receiving in checks done. But then the bigger sea change is I also help unionize them then. And so the minor league players are part of the Major League Baseball Players Association now, the union that has represented the, the Major League players for over 50 years now. And we finally got their their first collective bargain agreement uh, in place, and so salaries are two or two to three times higher now. Housing's paid for. It's 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 just um, unbelievable uh, how much has changed, and uh, just uh, it's it's a really really cool thing to be part of. You know, you know, one question I had just before this for you was, you know, obviously you mentioned it was an eight and a half nine year stretch that this took. Obviously, it wasn't easy. What was kind of was the fact that your time in the Giants organization and things like that was that kind of the big motivating factor for you in that, like knowing that you lived it? And it, obviously, when it wasn't easy over those eight and a half nine years, was that kind of maybe the big motivating factor? Oh, without a doubt. You know, I, I, I grew pretty close to one of my uh, Dominican teammates while I was in the Giants organization, and he'd invite me over to dinner at their place once in a while after a game. And I'd go over there, and they literally had eight people living in a two bedroom apartment, and like so, how do you do that? Well, you have two beds in the in the living room, and then you have two to three people in each bedroom. Then, and and why are they doing that? It's because out of that little bit of salary that we had, they were trying to send some of it back to their families because they came from such poor families too. You know, the average average American um, middle class family can help support their their 25-year-old who's still playing baseball by paying them for their cell phone and, and things like that and stuff. doesn't make it right when you're only being paid $3, $4 an hour, but at least at least you have a family that can help you out. But the average you know Dominican, Venezuelan player doesn't have that at all. And so seeing things like that, it was just really eye-opening for me. Um, and, you know, then I also had a teammate who was from the United States who didn't come from a middle-class family. Uh, came from a poor family, and um, I roomed with him on the road, and I noticed that he wasn't he wasn't going to to lunch a lot of times. He the first thing he would eat is just a peanut butter and jelly sandwich when we got to the field at like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I'd invite him to lunch, and he'd say, "Nah, not right now," and this just kept going on. And finally, I got it out of him why he wasn't going to lunch, and it's because he had racked up credit card debt. 
you know, just to pay for his day-to-day expenses. He relied on his credit card and had racked up credit card debt, and he had creditors calling calling him at all hours of the day because uh, he couldn't pay his bills. Um, so it was just really eye-opening seeing those things. And, you know, part of the reason I went to law school was to see if I could find a solution for that. And, you know, the long term, I always thought that unionization would be the best thing uh, because it allows both sides to work out an agreement that works works for both sides. And it also um, does something about the unequal bargaining power because you have, in the minor leagues, you have guys, thousands of players who are so desperate to get into this in- industry, they don't want to do anything to rock the boat at all. Um, and then on the other side, you know, you have billionaire owners that are sophisticated business people. And so that's why salaries had remained low for so long. And so, you know, I, I kept an eye on the unionization thing, but to sort of galvanize the movement, the minimum wage case was the perfect thing to, to, to spark that fire then, to light that match. And it took several years to build that movement out. Uh, we had to go to Congress as well. Congress actually passed something, uh, but luckily the state law still stepped in and, and offered protections. And so it was, it was really a, a huge battle with its ups and downs without, an, without a doubt for the entire case. Uh, but over time, we kept at it and, you know, achieved the success. So, again, talking things over here with Garrett Brushhouse, who is a lawyer there in St. Louis for Corrine Tillery Law Firm. So you alluded to it, Garrett. Uh, you know, last year, that five-year collective bargaining agreement uh, before the season started, Marlene players' salaries more than doubled in that agreement. So uh, that was great. But I also wanted to ask you about, in 2020, MLB reduced the number of affiliated minor league teams from 160 down to 120 across the league. So kind of from the outside looking at how do you think that decision has affected minor league baseball players? And then part two of that question, Garrett, what else needs to be done? You know, What work still needs to be done, in your opinion, across the board? Yeah, you know, it was tough to see those those 40, um, 40 minor league teams shatter. You know, a lot of those teams have been around for 100 years, and so those are mid-sized communities in the United States that have, have been accustomed to having affiliated professional baseball at them uh, for the better part of a century. And so, you know, anytime you're losing access, fans' access to baseball, I think that's a bad thing for the game. Um, and it's also a, a bad thing because it's it's uh, it's fewer number of jobs for minor league players. But at the same time, for a lot of those teams, uh, a lot of those cities ended up getting independent teams um, that are still not they're no longer affiliated with Major League Baseball, but they still have a baseball being played at those, those facilities. Um, a lot of those those a lot of those stadiums as well were becoming much more dated, and so from a facility standpoint, they would have had a tough time getting up to the, the new standards that the collective bargaining agreement expects for facilities and stuff as well. Um, and then, to be honest, you know, the other thing that's going on is across Major League Baseball, you have all these Ivy League executives now as well, and they start running the numbers. And they think they can do a much better job identifying players now than they can in the past and do a much better job of develop, developing them. And so for years they've been saying that they don't think they need as many minor league players because they just, they're better at what they do, they think now. Um, and so, you know, those, the, the, those factors all kind of combined to them deciding that they wanted to, to shrink the minor league system. And they also shrunk the draft, 
draft forever had been 40 plus rounds. Now it's only 20 rounds. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's tough to see that happen, but uh, there are still opportunities out there for players that don't get drafted to go the independent route. And so, you know, if you work hard and you have talent, you're still going, get, going to get noticed and you're still, and you're still going to, to get picked up at some point. So, yeah, it was, it was definitely tough to see that happen. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that it was, it was something that was, it was in progress for a number of years with this new age of, you know, Ivy League executives in baseball now. Again, talking things over with Garrett Brushhouse. So, Garrett, uh, advanced alum, I can't let you leave without talking a little advanced athletics with you, all right? So you're, you're a very successful high school athlete, not only in baseball, but a basketball athlete as well. So what are some memories that stand out in your high school career? So maybe some postseason runs, uh, maybe uh, the, the Christmas tournament and your accolades there at the Christmas tournament, or maybe even on the baseball diamond uh, there on the mound for the Hornets. I will say this, playing in the Christmas tournament championship game is still probably one of my favorite sports memories of all time. I mean, I played in, I started a Big 12 championship game as, as a pitcher, um, played in playoff games and, and minor league playoffs and won one minor league, um, one minor league championship, um, played in major league spring training games. Uh, but still to this day, you know, there's there's not many things better than playing in the Christmas tournament championship. It was just a I'll never forget that memory and, and beating Charleston to get there um that year that we did it. Uh, it was it, it was pretty cool. Um, you know, basketball was my favorite sport in, in high school. Yeah, uh, just baseball sort of chose me, uh just because it was what I was naturally better at probably. Uh but basketball is my favorite sport and high school baseball I always have a a special place in my heart for it and um you know it's 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 really pretty cool garrett i don't i'm sure you don't remember this but as a as a little little tyke uh, i'd certainly do i know watching you i know i was in in awe of uh your basketball prowess and you know how excellent some of the teams were that you were on but also too i remember uh, as a young guy I went to you uh, you were able to sign a baseball for me i still have it it's at my parents house <laughs> but uh but yeah that's just something I, I thought i was pretty neat i wanted to bring up a little reminiscing a little bit uh just again just on your great career and loving loving to have you on here this morning to talk a little bit about it no oh, happy to be on and um yeah go advance go advance all right garrett again appreciate it don't be a stranger we hope to have you on maybe sometime in the future sounds good all right, that is the one and only Garrett Brushhouse here on the SEMO Scramble. We appreciate his time, Clay. Boy, a lot of good nuggets, and boy, the work that he has done, again, as, as a lawyer, um, after the fact, again, obviously, valedictorian at Advance, uh, a valedictorian, how about that, at, in law school at, at St. Louis University, uh, that is incredible, and, it, you know, I don't... I don't think he mentioned it. Maybe I missed it, but I know I listened to the previous excerpts and things that he's talked about in interviews. Uh, literally, like, the weekend after he ended playing baseball for the Giants uh, organization, okay, uh, he took the bar exam <laughs> and he's right in to, to being a law school student and obviously passed with flying colors. So basically, obviously, very, very smart guy, Rusty. Yes. The, my biggest takeaway from this is he said that the Christmas Tournament Championship, the Southeast Missouri Christmas Tournament Championship, was cooler 
than pitching in a Big 12 championship <laughs> game and winning minor league championships. So if that's not our tagline every year going forward for the for the Southeast Missouri and Christmas tournament, then there I don't go. know what is. I mean, I'm just kidding. Obviously, that was a great interview, but I thought that was cool. Like, just, you know, obviously I remember following that case uh, when it happened. So just to be able to kind of pick his brain a little bit on it was, was super cool. And obviously we're very appreciative of his time because I know it sounds like he's a busy guy with yes. going around all his, his kids' sports this morning. And obviously he just oozes uh, just – intelligence uh he blows us out of the water but boy great to to have him on the show and, and good to hear from him and hopefully um you know we can talk to him in the future and and get some more ideas on his thoughts just maybe overall of kind of the state of baseball and where it's going and kind of his opinions on things so again a lot of good nuggets in there from garrett brushhouse hope you appreciated that coming up next we're going to get a quick interview with tink hints and then we'll round out the show talking a little nfl football stay with us Simo scramble I'm Tink Hintz of the St. Louis Cardinals, and you're listening to the CMO Scramble of CMO ESPN. All right. Getting to talk to Tink Hintz coming up, and thanks for Tink helping us out with a little liner there. Getting us back in here to the CMO Scramble, Clay Harrell, Rusty Hendricks. So Tink Hintz, we talked to him, Clay. We'll get some more interviews from the Cardinals caravan next week. We'll bring those to the table. But wanted to, to bring uh, Tink Hintz to the forefront here, uh, here today. Uh, obviously, top prospect. He's number two in the system, just rated for the St. Louis Cardinals. High expectations. I think there's a good chance he'll spend time in AAA this year for the Cardinals. Spent most of his time in AA last year. Uh, not a ton of innings, just 96 innings last year for the Cardinals minor league system. So trying to build him up as a starter, but he has great stuff. He was picked in that 2020 draft along with Mason Wynn, Jordan Walker, Alec Burleson. So that awesome draft for the Cardinals. So he was a part of that. He's been coming along a little slower but, again, a high upside guy, not a big guy in stature, only about six foot, about 175 pounds soaking wet. But uh, excited on the future of Tink Hintz and what he can bring to the table. So let's listen in to uh, our interview, uh, Clay, from the Cardinals Caravan and uh, get Tink's thoughts on this year. All right, Tink Hintz here at the Cardinals Caravan. And, hey, man, you were picked the 63rd pick in the 2020 draft for the Cardinals, also part of the uh, the Futures All-Star game last year. So a ton of expectations from the organization and fan base. Really crazy about this team. So how has your experience been with the Cardinals so far, and how are you dealing with some of those expectations? Uh, I mean, the Cardinals have been everything that I thought it was, and even better, you know, just getting around these guys and really learning how, how they think and the way they care about the game and the way they play the game. So just coming to this organization at a young age, I feel like I've, I've been groomed the right way, and I got a chance to go to the Futures game and, and represent the Cardinals and that was an unbelievable experience. So, you know, just continue to go on in my career and kind of just learn, and I'm very excited to, uh, to play for the Cardinals. So what's the, the main message that the Cardinals have kind of wanted you to work on for this offseason? How have you worked to get better? What are your goals right now? Really just continuing to build with the workload, you know, uh, not only for just me but just my body 
just being more consistent, I feel like. Like last year, I was pretty good uh, on some of the things that I wanted to work on that offseason, but I feel like I could have been a little bit more in detail. So kind of just coming into this one, just learning from last season where I kind of got a, to a little point where I was kind of getting tired and I felt that. So just just really staying it and really learning my body and that's really the biggest thing, just learning how to be more consistent and that's what it takes to play at the highest level. So. You play any other sports growing up? How does your athleticism help you as a pitcher? Play a little bit of basketball all the way to ninth grade, football here and there, then ninth grade, after that just focus on baseball and being athletic, I feel like it's everything. Uh, it helps me, you know, kind of get my body into position that I didn't know I could until I seen pictures of me pitch. So just kind of learning from there too also. Me learning how my body works and what makes me so effective is kind of helps me go and train in all season and learning what I really need to work on to make myself the complete pitcher and just really learn, learn yourself as a pitcher, I feel. You're Fastball can touch, you know, up to around 99 miles an hour. You have a solid slider go along with a curve and a changeup. So how has those pitches continued to kind of evolve for you? And what is, what's kind of your go-to pitch as well? You know, mainly I was a fastball, curveball guy with a, with a, with the change. And then I kind of uh, went to more of like a fastball slider. You know, when you get to the big leagues, you're going to need everything. So kind of just trying to play with those different pitches and, and really uh, use them. So, like, at first I was more of a curve guy. Now I want to uh, play around with the slider because I feel it could be a pitch that could help me get out of situations. I feel like my curveball was the pitch I really used to, the, for a lot of swing and miss. And, and then my changeup really ended up becoming one of my greatest uh, go-to pitches also. So I feel like this year is the year that I can really bring all those years together and, and really just go out and compete and and show my true craft. So, All right, that was Tim Kentz, again, uh, one of the top prospects for the St. Louis Cardinals. So get your thoughts, Clay, on that. I know you talked to him as well at the Cardinals caravan, had a chance to talk to him. But things that stood out to me, he's trying to build up his, his innings, his workload, and get that going. He talked about being you know tired a little bit at times, so trying to build that up, trying to hone in on his fastball command and just kind of learning himself as a pitcher. Those are some of the things that stood out to me. Yeah, I mean, also, too, I, I hope people in this area realize how good and how much potential Tinkens has. Like, unbelievable talent. He's, he's really done well in the, in the minor leagues. And he was drafted at just 17 years old. He made the decision, you know, out of high school when he got drafted to go to go pro. I mean, I think he was Arkansas he was going to go to. If he, Arkansas if, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Yeah. So, or he's from Arkansas. He's, Pine yeah, Bluff, I think he was going to go to the University of Arkansas. Right. Made the decision to go pro, and, and I had a chance to you know really dive in and talk with him about that a little bit on Monday. You can check it out on Seamoball.com. Uh, it's it's that story's up, and I mean just to kind of I remember being seventeen, and for me it wasn't that long ago. But like, I, and you just kind of like it, it feels like you know nothing matters, right? You're just kind of going through every. You don't think about things like that. I can't imagine having to make the decision to either go to college or go pro, go pro in baseball, and I mean. Obviously, the decision for him's worked out. He's had a lot of a lot of accolades, accolades at the minor league level, and obviously, I think Cardinals fans and he, really the Cardinals organization is hoping that he continues his his progression and those accolades start to come with the major league level as well. Yeah, hoping Cardinals fans are hoping that maybe he can turn into that ace that they desperately need and want. So again, high expect, expectations. You know, maybe Cardinals fans got to slow it down a little bit. Probably. 
probably won't see time this year in the majors. We'll see. You never know. But uh, next year would be the year that uh, potentially we see Tink Hintz uh, with a little time with the St. Louis Cardinals. So, again, I hope you enjoyed that. You can check that out as well. Again, after the show on the podcast page, uh, Tink Hintz. We'll get some other um, interviews from the Cardinals caravan coming up next week. But, all right, Clay, as we round out the show, I want to talk a little bit about the NFL uh, divisional weekend. If you, if you listened last week, then you could just not listen to anything I'm about to say because clearly anything I predict <laughs> with the NFL doesn't matter. Can we, can we play it again? Go let's, ahead. Let's, let's play let's it again. It. So let's play our little blooper reel. This was from before the season started. Clay and I, uh, this was in August, okay, folks, before the NFL season started. This was our uh, picks for division winners, and let's just say it didn't go very well. All right, I'm going to give you my picks to win each division. We'll see if you guys agree or disagree. For the AFC East, some could go with the Dolphins, the Bills, or maybe the Jets. But my pick still remains the Bills. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I agree with that. I think the Jets are the trendy pick, just, you know, with the offseason they had. I mean, it's tough. Same thing with Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen's another guy that's tough to bet against. All right, the AFC North, Steelers, Ravens, Browns, Bengals. Bengals is the pick. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a pretty easy one. The Ravens, I think, will give them a run for their money. I still think Cincinnati is probably the favorite until, you know, somebody proves them otherwise. AFC South, the Jags, the Colts, the Texans, the Titans. Uh, not a very good division, but <laughs> in, I think with, you know, Trevor Lawrence, a guy that's improving, he took a big step forward last year. I think the Jags could be the team uh, to maybe win that division. Yeah, I think it comes down to Jacksonville or the Titans. AFC West, the Raiders, the Chiefs, Chargers, and Broncos. Chiefs are my pick. Feels tough to not to not take the Chiefs here, but I think the Chargers could give them a, a decent run. I mean, the Raiders seem to always play them tough as well. In a, NFC, I've got the Eagles in the East, the Vikings in the NFC North. And a lot of people have the Lions, but I have the Vikings there, the Saints in the South in the NFC, and then the West continue to be the 49ers. Any disagreements there? I'm going to take the Bears in the NFC North. Okay. Oh and then gosh. in the NFC South, really quick, I've taken the Panthers. Uh, the offseason they had was probably one of the better offseasons. It kind of maybe gets overshadowed by the Jets a bit. They brought in Adam Thielen, DJ Chark, Miles Sanders, Hayden Hurst, and then obviously drafting Bryce Young, a quarterback. I, uh, I'm taking the Panthers to win the NFC South. Brutal. Brutal. Hey, real quick, Clay, before you start, I have to mention this. When we, when we recorded this, uh, also Cole Lee uh, was in studio of the Southeast Missourian. And just his little snippet there is after you pick the Bears, he's saying, oh, gosh. <laughs> just cracks me up every time. Let me – I got a couple things to say really quick. <laughs> One, I promise I picked the Chiefs in the AFC West. When I listen to that, it doesn't sound like I picked the Chiefs, but I no sane person was taking the Raiders or the Chargers over the Chiefs. Two – I stopped you, Rusty, and said, hey, real quick, I'm taking the Panthers in the NFC South. You could have just ended, like, we could have ended the show there. I made it a point to circle back and take the Panthers. Um, so uh, I don't know if I could say this, but if you're the betting kind today, whatever I say, I would just do the opposite. That would be my, my uh, advice for you. So two games today in the divisional round of the playoffs, the Texans at the Ravens. Currently the spread is minus 9.5 in favor of the, the Ravens. Honestly, Clay... Again, you don't really want to listen to what we're saying, but eh, just for kicks and giggles, why not? Uh, look, I think the Texans could make it close. I don't think they win, but I do think the Texans could make it maybe a one-score game, maybe a two-score game, but we'll see. 
Uh, Texans and Ravens, that's at 3.30 on ESPN and ABC. I am very confident in saying that the Baltimore Ravens will win this game and advance to the AFC Championship game. You can take that one to the bank. <laughs> okay, with confidence. With confidence. 7-15 game tonight on Fox, Packers at 49ers. Look, a lot of people are giving uh, the Packers a, a puncher's chance. Recency bias, Rusty. Right, after beating the Cowboys. But I think we both agree the Niners should take care of business. This is like when was a UMBC beat Virginia in March Madness. They're, the Packers are not beating the 49ers, guys. Like, let's... Let's be let's be real about who the San Francisco 49ers are. They are going to win this game by 17 points. Spread minus 10 in favor of the Niners. And then tomorrow, uh my interest obviously will be peaked because I'm kind of rooting for the Lions. Lions at uh will be hosting the Bucks uh at Ford Field in Detroit at 2 p.m. on NBC. Uh right now Detroit with a minus 6 uh, they have the and the spread. Uh, do you give the Bucks any any chance there? I don't know. Baker Mayfield played pretty well against Philly, but I'm going to take the Lions. And I think if the Lions win this game, we might have to call up Todd Richards again and and get his thoughts on yeah. the NFC Championship game because I talked to him the other night and he was he was quite excited uh, after they won that that game. I also am picking the Lions, but again, I I don't think it's going to be a big spread. I think it could be go down to the wire as it did against the Rams. So we'll see there. Again, that game's on NBC, and then 5.30 on CBS tomorrow afternoon, Chiefs at Bills. It's going to be cold. Uh, I think somewhere around in the teens, the 20s is the temperature in Orchard Park, New York. That's like Florida weather for the Chiefs <laughs> after last week. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm picking the Chiefs. I'm not real confident about it. Buffalo minus 2.5 is the spread. It, to me, it's a pick em game. It could go either way. Honestly, I think the – the big differentiating factor in the game, who can have the least amount of turnovers? Who can have the least amount of turnovers? That may win you the game. I'm taking Buffalo. I think it's uh, I think it's their time. I think that they uh, we got a Bills-Ravens AFC championship, and I think Josh Allen is finally going to get to the Super Bowl. And with the teams that are left over there, Bills 49ers would be my pick for the Super Bowl, and I think San Francisco would, would uh, edge them out there, maybe three, three seven-point game. All right. Getting so ahead of ourselves a little bit. Getting ahead. All right. But, again, should be fun. Uh, big weekend for football again in the NFL. Don't forget, uh, folks, SEMO uh, basketball today at home, one thirty starting as the SEMO women will take on SIUE. Then the men will follow eh, somewhere around 345 or so. So, again, right here on this station, SEMO ESPN, you can listen to the women at around one thirty with Eric Sean. And then tune, tune over to Real Rock 99.3 for the men at around 345 or so. Again, SEMO basketball this afternoon at the Show Me Center. When you're done listening to it uh, here and on Real Rock 99.3, check out SEMOball.com. Justin Trevelyan will be covering the women's, and I will have coverage of the men's game. So go thereafter. All right. So thanks to Clay Harrell. Real quick note, too, the gymnastics teams for SEMO breaks a program record and their uh, meet over the weekend, so congrats to them. And in the uh, Tennessee Collegiate Classic, uh, the SEMO women's tennis team picked first in the OVC poll. So, uh, obviously, SEMO athletics going strong. The Blues play tonight, hosting the Capitals as well. We'll see if they can get back on track, Clay. I'm going to go with probably not, unfortunately. <laughs> we'll see. All right, folks, thanks so much for listening to us here on the SEMO Scramble. Hope you enjoyed it. Remember, you can go and listen to the full podcast. We'll have it up on the show in about an hour. 
So we'll get that up for you here on the podcast page at SEMOESPN backslash podcast, and you can listen online uh, and carry it with you on the app as well. So for Clay Harrell, for Garrett Brushhouse, for James Nail, and even Tink Hints, I'm Rusty Hendricks saying so long here from the SEMO ESPN studios. Have a great weekend, everybody. Take care. You've been listening to the SEMO Scramble. You've been listening to the SEMO Scramble on SEMO ESPN. Tune in every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 for a dash of hometown pride right here on the SEMO Scramble. Yes, don't miss the latest news, scores, and stories that matter most to local sports enthusiasts. From the Blue Heel and beyond. Right here on SEMO ESPN 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, the SEMO ESPN app, and at SEMOESPN.com.